Welcome back to Puffcast, friends, featuring me, Paul Bruno, in Toronto, Ontario, and AJ in uh, Madison, Wisconsin, in Sun Prairie, Wisconsin. Sorry about that, pal. I got you moving. And uh, I don't know why our headquarters over in Madison makes sense for him to be living close there. I do all of my stuff long distance with that group, but it's a great company, and uh, we're delighted to share the news that uh, they sh- they had about 17 different nominations for awards uh, that were released recently. So we want to congratulate all those people from our in our employee that we got those nominations. AJ, that's quite a coup for our team. And uh, of course, we're very proud of the work that we do here on a, on a weekly basis to bring you the best hockey news and information. And AJ, this week, we were blessed with a sound bite from heaven because <laughs> of the situation that happened in Vancouver and uh the name game, I guess, is what we can call that. This that uh, somebody had some fun with some of the names involved in in the, the the biggest news of the week in the NHL in Vancouver. Why don't you share those details with our listeners, and we'll uh, we'll uh, munch through some of the comments and and uh, determine where we stand on what is next for the Vancouver Canucks. Yeah, the uh, Canucks, uh, or Canucks as they were called, uh, fired coach Bruce Boudreau, or Boudreau, I think. Uh, the, I think it was Bo Drew. Bo Drew, um, and replaced him with Rick 2K. Uh, so <laughs> if you haven't been able to analyze the uh, what actually I just said there, is Vancouver fired coach Bruce Boudreau and hired uh, Rick Tockett to come in and be the replacement. Um I'm a big fan of Tockett. I, I thought he was a, a critical piece when he was here with the Penguins as part of the Stanley Cup runs. I don't judge negatively any coach who heads to Arizona and it doesn't work out because it never seems to work out for anybody that coaches there. So I won't hold that against him. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think it's a good move uh, to bring in Tockett. I, th- I think he'll do a really good job there. And this is a good I think decision for him to get another shot on a team that again is not Arizona. And you have to feel for uh, Bruce Boudreau who was hung out to dry. I mean, last week when we were recording our show, this was when all the stuff was starting to go down and more news came out while we were actually recording AJ. And I remember we talked last week about how I was pleased to see the the general manager slash president combo sharing a lot of views on the things that they thought they needed to do with shedding some contracts and that sort of thing. But the big shoe to drop was the fact that they were looking around for a new coach at that time. And that became very public uh, that afternoon about a week ago and through the rest of the week. And they left him hanging, Bruce Woodrow hanging uh, like from a noose from a tree uh, for, for about five days, AJ. And it was quite apparent even when he was signing off on the last game the crowd even knew very well what was happening. So he got a very unusual send off with the crowd chanting his name. And it was quite an emotional end. And I hope it's not the end of a 46 year career, I believe as a player and in uh, team management for Boudreaux, uh, one of the top guys in terms of all time wins among coaches and a friend to all in hockey media circles. Apparently he was very popular, obviously throughout his runs in various cities and, uh, not the least of which is in Toronto. And there's already a groundswell of support for, for him to find his his uh, next landing spot here in Toronto as maybe part of the Leafs system somehow, maybe in the offseason. But uh, we'll see if, if he even wants to do that. But uh, just a sad end to, to uh, a long and distinguished career for Bruce Boudreau. And, uh, I mean, the media couldn't get it right in some quarters as we identified with the 
mispronunciations and so on. But the fact that it was such an open and transparent thing was uh, a little hard to watch. And uh, we wish him well in, uh, in future endeavors. The 68-year-old has every opportunity now to ride off into the sunset. And if he chooses to do so, he can say that he gave it his all and uh, should be very proud of everything that he accomplished. So our best goes out to him. And uh, it's too bad it was such a public and transparent thing. It was a little more transparent than it needed to be. And now the sad part, AJ, is remember last week I was saying it's so nice to see a, a management team sharing a lot of information. Well, one of Rutherford's parting <laughs> shots was he's not going to talk about stuff like this anymore. So he just falls in line with the other 31 teams that I've been lamenting for, for years on this program that they don't give us enough information. So can you imagine what this is going to do to the front offices in, in some of the other cities and say, this is why we don't want to talk to the media and say any more than, than yes, sir, no, sir. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely not, not a good look for anybody really. Um, you know, I, I get, you know, maybe they were still working out some details with Tocket, but just, you know, if you knew Boudreau was done, just, just pull the bandaid, rip the bandaid, let an assistant or the AHL coach or something coach for a couple games while you finalize things with Tockett and, and go from there. It didn't need to be protracted like this. I totally agree. Um, and then, you know, I will say the one thing they uh, didn't do is, you know, leave him at the away hotel to have to get his own uh, taxi to the airport. Right. Uh, so that's still not the worst firing we've seen in the NHL, but uh, it's definitely up there. That's for sure. That's for sure. All right, AJ, with that said, why don't we swing into action with a look this week at the 32 clubs with a little bit of a twist. I suggested before we went to air that uh, we're getting close to the trade deadline and a lot of teams are pretty close to the salary cap maximum. So they're going to have to find a way to shed some contracts or make room for any incoming players. And that was the impetus for me to suggest to you, why don't we come up with a look at each of the 32 rosters and say, which contract do we think is the most problematic or could be the most problematic before it's all said and done for each of the clubs. And I had no trouble coming up with them for my half, and I'm sure you're going to have an easy time with yours. But it'll be interesting to see how many of those names get moved at the trade deadline. That's coming up in a few weeks. So uh, up to you first uh, with first serve on the Anaheim Ducks part. Yeah, so looking at the Ducks, um, you know, they probably will be a team that uh, maybe – facilitates some moves. Maybe, you know, you have, um, let's just say Patrick Kane, for example, $10 million cap hit. He ends up in Anaheim for an hour and uh, they take a portion of his cap because they're sitting with about just under 14 mil available. But looking in terms of bad contracts uh, that they have on there, I think you have to call John Klingberg a bad contract right now, $7 million. It's set to expire after the season ends, just 15 points in 40 games for the Ducks right now. Um, so really underwhelming this week or, or this season rather. So I'm sure they'll want to shed that contract. Um, they've got a couple, you know, John Moore uh, has been on IR all season long. That's 2.75 is his contract. That'll be gone after this season. So they have cap space now to kind of absorb some deals and then to, uh, you know, spread that out. They're going to have to pay some guys, specifically Trevor Zegras, who had another really good week with three goals and three assists. He's going to be an RFA this year. So you know, maybe you just take Klingberg $7 million and give it to Zegras. I don't know, something like that. So um, there'll be buyers at the deadline in terms of cap space, and they'll use that to their advantage. Um, but overall, I think this is a team – uh, that, you know, we'll have 
get some more space for next year for some of these RFAs by letting a few of these other guys go. And I think uh, John Klingberg is probably number one on that list. Yeah. And up next to Arizona, they've made uh, it part of their business plan for prior years, even to take on some bad contracts. They've lived on IR. For instance, I'm talking about Andrew Ladd for 5.5 million uh, for, for this year. He'll be expired at the end of the season. And Brian Little for this year and next year at $5.29 million. Those are some ugly looking deals, but they're on IR and they got compensated for them by taking in some draft picks. They, they have one in house that I don't really like, and that's Nick Schmaltz's deal. AJ, this guy is a guy that's being paid $5.8 million. He's only 26 years old. So maybe there's time to turn things around, but I think they overpaid based on his one good season when he scored in the 50 point range. And he's not going to be near that by the time this season rolls around. So that's an ugly looking deal that has three more years on it. And that's the kind of thing that I'm looking at with uh, with all the rest of the teams that I investigate uh, today and say, that's an ugly looking deal. It's going to be a bit of an albatross for them should this guy not turn things around. In the meantime, they have another interesting situation with Connor Ingram back in the goalie mix here. And it comes at a good time when Carol Vomelka seems to have run out of a bit of, a bit of gas they at least have a second option in the Nets, and they're playing enough well enough to keep the goals against, you know, not ridiculous, but right now the offense is hurting. So that's a bit of a problem for a club that's only won two of its last 10 games. And uh, they they have picked it up, though, with a couple of four spots in their favor over the last week. So they need to, to see more of the same going forward. Well, looking at the Boston situation, uh, really not not anything egregious comes to mind. Um, you know, you could point to the fact that both Craig Smith and Nick Felino are earning more money than Patrice Bergeron uh, as Bergeron's on that, you know, kind of one year deal. Um, and I would expect that to continue. But they do have some things that need to be dealt with next season. You've got David Pasternak coming up to be a uh, unrestricted free agent. He's going to need a new deal. They'll have to decide, of course, if they're going to um, bring back Bergeron for another season. Jeremy Swayman will be an RFA. So they, they've got some things coming up next year. Uh, I think if you're looking for, if you really want to find a bad contract here, it would have to probably be Mike Riley, who they currently uh, are taking just a, a portion of the hit there as he's playing in the minors right now. So it lessens the hit, but still eating up about 1.87 uh, on the cap there. So getting him off the books would be ideal. Maybe they'll find a trade partner, somebody that would uh, want, you know, kind of a veteran um, guy to come in next season. He's got one more year on the deal after that, but it's really hard to say that Boston has anything that's, that's problematic. Obviously there'll be buyers at the deadline. They continue to lead the NHL right now. So um, although I, you know, to be frank, Paul, I'm not sure what they would add. They've got, you know, pretty good depth um, with the, you know, with DeBrusque out and Thomas Nosek out, they're going a little bit into the youth system here, but they've still got guys in their bottom six, like Nick Foligno, Charlie Coyle, like experienced players. Um, and, and the blue line is solid. So not really sure what Boston would even want to buy right now. Um, certainly nothing major as they head into the deadline. Yeah. When Craig Smith is on an expiring contract and playing first line, that's, that's about the worst situation contract wise. I think it's a case of showcasing him. They may even find a way to get rid of him before the, before the trade deadline, but that's the only issue I see in Boston. In Buffalo, we used to talk about uh, this as being the category where we go wax poetic on Jeff Skinner, but he's 
turn things around. And he's now a point of game guy. So that contract at $9 million cap hit, which is the highest on the Sabres, is looking a lot, a little more palatable, even though it has four years to run. If he can play, be a point per game guy over that stretch, I think that turns out to be a decent value. So we turn our attention away to other players. And maybe one of the deals that they signed earlier this year, in fact, turns out to be one that they should be concerned about. That's Matt, Matthias Samuelson, uh, 22 years old. He comes off the entry-level deal, AJ, of 925000 And next year, we'll begin getting $4.2 million, $4.2 million on his deal. And Samuelson this year, limited to 33 games so far this year, four points on the ledger. 11 is the plus-minus. The penalty minutes, 14. Shots on goal, only 47. You hear what I'm saying? There's not much going on there. And he's got to, you know, be better than this to earn uh, that kind of contract. Uh, otherwise, it's going to look like an ugly one, too. So the Sabres uh, may have opened up, uh, left the frying pan, but got into the fire with Skinner's turning out okay. And then this one may be not so good down the road. In Carolina, they find themselves with a wealth or potential wealth of cap space after Match Patch already retore that Achilles. He's not currently on long-term IR, um, but that $7 million contract will certainly end up there uh, sooner rather than later if they want to add some pieces here. Obviously, they've got Jake Gardner, uh, pretty much career over for him. Uh, Andre Kasha is still on LTIR for them. He's just $1.5 million. But all these guys are going to be free agents next year. Um, you know, Pacioretty, Kasha, uh, they're going to have to answer some questions there. They have to answer what they want to do with Jordan Stahl. Does Stahl take a reduced salary? He's making $6 million against the cap this year. He'll be a UFA. So there's a lot of questions looking ahead to next season. But in terms of this year, they've got the space to buy um, because of that Pacioretty injury. They're already using... Um, about $3 million of their available LTIR. But when you move that other uh, other $7 million on there, you're looking at potentially around, uh, doing some quick math here, around $9 million, eight and a half, I think, $8.5 million in terms of potential LTIR relief. Uh, so they definitely could add some pieces. That's uh, very easily uh, a, Pat, a Patrick Kane or a Jonathan Taves uh, easily could take on one of those deals very similar to what we saw when the uh, Golden Knights brought in Jack Eichel. And Calgary, AJ, they were uh, very happy with the early returns. When uh, In the offseason, people were patting them on the back for getting Jonathan Huberto and uh, uh, Mackenzie Weger in the fold. Both those guys have signed extensions, healthy ones. And uh, there's a Spocky and I around Huberto in that $10.5 million hit, considering the struggles that he's had getting acclimatized here. I know both of us are a little bit surprised that he hasn't been able to continue what the trajectory that he had in, in Florida. He's well below the point per game mark and only nine goals in 45 games. That's going to look like a terrible deal if he can't turn, turn things around uh, and get more comfortable in the new digs. And certainly Uyghur is not far behind uh, 13 points on his ledger in 47 games. This is a guy that got 40 or 45 points regularly with Florida, with uh, his previous stop, I mean, in Florida. And uh, I just think that they're both too good to wallow at the levels that they are. That's what I'm, the word I'm going to use because it's, it's factual based on what we've seen so far. And then you throw in the fact that now people are talking about 
Jacob Markstrom struggles and he's on the books for six plus million in the next couple of years. There's no way I would have conceived that that would have been a bad deal, AJ. But the fact of the matter is that Daniel Vladar has come in and he's lapped him. He's, he's become far more effective and looks like the go-to goalie go ahead going forward. So I expect Markstrom to get his act together. I expect the other guys to get their act together, but that's hoping for three guys to turn things around from where they are this year in terms of the bad contract column. I wonder if all three of them will, and one of them, one of the three, in all likelihood, will turn out to be a horrible deal uh, over the next couple of years. Well, the fire sale is on in Chicago, of course. They don't really need to move any contracts when you consider that both Kane and Taves will come off the books next year for a combined uh, $21 million. So they'll, they'll have plenty of room after that. Uh, but the question is, who wants uh, what that's available? Obviously, Kane and Taves are heavy lifts in terms of $5 million apiece. Um, often, uh, Andreas Athanasiu, $3 million. Max Dome, $3 million. Dome's name has circled a couple of times around that he was going to be available, um, but he said that he kind of likes it in Chicago. Uh, but I think what you could see there potentially would be that they sell him and maybe trying to convince him to come back in free agency. So there's plenty of guys available for them. Again, no real bad contracts. I mean, Tyler Johnson's been injured so much that maybe $5 million a year feels a little rough for that one. Um, but, you know, it's kind of hard to, to blame that guy. I think what you're looking at in terms of bad contracts is actually still the recapture penalty on Duncan Keith, which is costing him $5.5 million this year. That drops to just $1.9 million. Um, but to have $2 million of just dead money from Duncan Keith retiring is pretty rough. You combine that with some buyouts of Brett Connolly and Henrik Borgstrom and give or take about $3 million in a cap hit that, or a cap that's only going up one mil next year. Uh, that's a lot to be wasting on, on guys not on the team. So as far as this year goes, again, it's going to be who can take on Kane or Taves and is willing to both be able to take on the contract and would potentially want them, what Chicago can get back for them. I think obviously uh, Athens, Steve and Dome are the more attractive targets here. Um, their cap hits are a lot uh, more negotiable. You'll have more teams buying in on them. And so that'll raise the return value here for the Blackhawks. And in Columbus, look, at the auditions are carrying on in full swing, and they have a new name that surfaced in a positive way, Nick Blankenberg, a, a young defenseman, only five foot nine in stature out of the University of Michigan, AJ, but he had a goal and two assists last week, so that's a name to watch going forward, and maybe he, he helps solidify defense from the offensive standpoint. Uh, certainly the defensive side is, is lacking this year, and one of the cogs in that Bain is is left wanting a little bit in terms of his contract situation. That's Eric Goodbranson. He's on the books for $4 million this year and the next three at 31 years of age. He is one of the worst minus plus minuses on the team and defensive specialist with a minus 20 who's only got nine points is certainly not worth that kind of value. So that's the contract that I highlighted. They, they have some room to take on other deals to help uh, themselves acquire more prospects. So they may be a team to watch in terms of what they accumulate rather than discard in this space between now and the end of the season. For Colorado, I think it's pretty easy to find which of these deals most strikes you as uh, not returning the value. And that's Eric Johnson 
The blue liner coming in at six million in terms of uh, you know the hit here. At some point, I imagine I, I don't believe he's been ruled out for the year. So at some point, we're expected to see Gabriel Landeskog back, and that would require them to figure out how to fit seven million dollars on the cap. They've got about the amount they would need on three guys that are on injured reserve. But if any of those guys is ready to play. Uh, it's going to be a little tricky, I think, for them to figure all this out. Uh, I'm not sure how the numbers are going to work for them. But if they could shed Eric Johnson, trade him somewhere, I just think he ha- you know, he's been playing plenty. He's still a solid player for them. But if you can get healthy with Bowen Byram, Kale McCarr, Josh Manson, get all those guys healthy, I think Eric Johnson becomes expendable. And when you're doing that in order to get you Gabriel Landeskog back in the lineup, like no brainer. Right. So I think that's the one question mark that I think they have is how do you get Landeskog off long-term IR? Um, and I think getting somebody to take Eric Johnson would be key to that. In Dallas, this is a team that's filled in very nicely around their top line and uh, made a resurgence possible for the likes of Tyler Sagan and George, Jamie Ben, who've had pretty nice seasons. I mean, they're both on the books for, significant cap hits but the one that catches my eye that's not returning value is on the defense they've got 38 year old ryan Suter, who is uh, on the books for 3.65 million this year and the next two and really he's a far cry from what he was in uh, his glory years he's a 13 point producer so far with a minus eight seems like the offensive skills and the defensive skills have left him uh, he was one of the premier defensemen not so long ago in this league but certainly the, the downhill skids have really taken on some momentum, and uh, that's not a good-looking contract for me right now in Dallas. Over in Detroit, uh, the situation uh, is, you know, about about next season. You've got a couple of guys that need new deals here. Dylan Larkin is one. Tyler Bertuzzi is another. Um, yeah, maybe David Perron at 4.75 is a little expensive, but they also are sitting with about 5.8 million in cap space already. Uh, so they, they just need to figure out how to pay Dylan Larkin and Tyler Bertuzzi next season. That's really their biggest question. This, this year is pretty much a wash already. Um, yeah. I don't see any like egregious contracts on this team. The more you look through it, um, Jacob Vrana playing in the minors uh, at 4.1 million in, in a hit there. That certainly isn't helping, so that would maybe be a, a player that they would try and move because uh, they're just eating up cap money for for a guy that's uh, not around the team. Um, but it is, you know, he's coming back from a personal situation, so maybe he'll be on the team. What you're going to get from him when that happens, I, it's very muddied right now. Um, so I don't think there's a ton that's really terrible on this team. Uh, you know, Ole Mata, uh, Jordan Osterley, guys that, you know, don't um, necessarily warrant big contracts aren't making big dollar money. It seems everybody is about where you would expect them to be uh, in terms of their, their on-ice production, except for, you know, obviously Lucas Raymond on his entry-level deals, outperforming that, of course, as most players do. Same with Maurice Sider. Uh, so some long-term questions to be answered here for them overall. Um, they'll get a little bit of space from uh, retained salary in the Ricker Panic deal. Uh, they do still have Justin Habdicator 
uh, a buyout uh, payments for a couple more years, but nothing that's too bad. And in Edmonton, you know, you like uh, this guy much better than I do, but Cody Cece for me is being overpaid here. Seven points plus 10. He's not a top pairing defenseman for Edmonton, and they're shelling out significant dollars for him in the order of $3.25 million for this year and the next two. So I don't like that deal too much. And uh, maybe Brett Kulak is another guy who is a slightly overpaid, but yeah, I can live with $2.75 million for a defensive-minded defenseman with a little bit of toughness. Those are kind of the iffy ones for me on this club. And they're going to shed one by the end of the year in Yessi Puyarvi. That situation merits a little bit of a discussion, AJ, for me, in that this guy was penciled in as a top six winger, has all the size that you want and all the skill that you thought you were going to get when he was drafted so high in the draft, but he's been an unmitigated flop in his time in Edmonton. And I'm sure we've seen the last of him in an Oilers jersey when this season plays itself out. He might not even make it to the trade deadline. I could maybe even see him going on waivers. So they'll shed that $3 million cap hit to give themselves a little bit of room. But they have to be thrilled with, how would you like to be Zach Hyman, AJ? (laughs) This guy goes from Austin Matthews to Connor McDavid, and I heard somebody say earlier today, this guy must believe be must have been a wonderful person in his previous life and is being rewarded in this one. Uh, if you believe in reincarnation, he's certainly a prime candidate for a guy who uh, has done well in the did well in the past life and is being rewarded now. So, uh, real really kind of a neat insight there, but it just underscores how uh, fortunate he's been. You might be talking about a hundred point player. He's on pace for about ninety six so far this year. Uh, and I'm happy for him. He was a solid citizen in Toronto and off the ice by all by all accounts, a fantastic person. So uh, good things happen to good people. And uh, Zach Hyman having another career year, besting his uh, pre- or previous highs. I think for Florida, there's no question the worst contract has to be Sergei Bobrovsky, right? Like $10 million for a guy who's got a sub 900 save percentage isn't necessarily even your every night starter when Spencer Knight is healthy. Plus he's had some injury concerns here. Like, I don't know. I don't know how you justify paying Bobrovsky at 10 mil a a season. You're not going to find too many people willing to take that contract on. They've got three more years of it after this one. And that's also going to overlap when Spencer Knight moves from his entry level contract to his his regular deal that comes in at 4.5 million. So you're going to be paying 10 million for a part-time potentially backup, you know, and any other goaltender that's gotten that much money has generally been like a workhorse. Like I think a carry price before the injuries, he started, you know, as many games as possible, like to pay $10 million, for, even if he plays half of the games is still way too much. Uh, so I think that hands down, is the worst contract on the Florida Panthers. And, you know, they going to have to figure that out. Um, you know, maybe that's part of why they made some of the moves they did with, you know, the Tuck trade to offload some guys for, for future seasons, because they are going to be pretty handicapped in terms of what they can do on the, you know, on free agency and future seasons because of that Bob Roski deal. The Los Angeles Kings, AJ, I got to give this team a credit for doing a rebuild on the fly and keeping some of their signature players in-house. And I'm looking at three guys when I consider those long-term commitments that the Kings made a couple of years ago. And two of them are winding up. One of them is going to remain on the books. The two that are winding up sooner are Anze Kopitar at $10 million. He's 35 and he's got one more year on the deal, but he's still performing at a very high level. 
Drew Doughty has an $11 million cap hit, but he's on the books for the next four years. A lot of mileage on him. Jonathan Quick on a, a deal that's expiring this season at $5.8 million. So the, the concern that I have is looking at the Doughty situation saying, okay, he's still their top-scoring defenseman, but a lot of miles, miles on him, a lot of injuries over the career. I think at some point they're going to have to figure out a way to shed that deal or, or work around it because it's going to be their albatross before it expires, I do believe, at the end of the 26-27 season. But for the time being, they've done a very nice job building around that and fortifying each position that they are a contender in that division. Well, Paul, you've given me all the straightforward teams to talk about because in terms of worst contracts right now in Minnesota, it's Zach Parisi and Ryan Suter, who aren't on the team anymore. I'm I'm well aware of that, but they have $12 million, uh, $12.7 tied up in terms of buyout this year, jumps up to 14.7 next year and the year beyond that. It's not until 2025, 20, 26 that they actually see that number drop down drastically. It was a really bold decision um, by uh, general manager uh, Bill Guerin to, you know, buy out those two contracts. Um, but it is hurting them drastically in terms of their their cap space and their cap availability. I mean, they're they actually still managed to have like three point seven million available in the cap. You have to imagine they want to be buyers this year, um, but you know they can't be too aggressive because. They just signed Matthew Boldy to that huge eight-year contract. So he'll go from making less than $900,000 this year to $7 million next season, which will put him third on the team in terms of overall salary. You have to imagine Matt Dumba, who is a healthy scratch this last week, probably not coming back in that scenario. He's making $6 million right now. Um, that could go to, you know, uh, that money basically could go to pay for Matthew Boldy. So maybe they try and move Dumba, try and get something for him. Uh, they could obviously retain a little bit of salary this season. It would still give them uh, some flexibility. Cause like I said, they do have a little bit of cap space available as it is. So um, yeah, their, their worst contracts are guys that aren't even playing on the team anymore. And in Montreal, they made it their business to take in uh, the likes of Sean Monahan for the cap hit of 6.73 million. He's now living on, the LTIR, so they got some compensation for that. But in-house, they've got another contract that is a big concern, one that you wouldn't have realized if you watched Saturday's game because, once again, Josh Anderson made it known that he loves playing against the Navy Leafs by scoring another goal. It seems like every time those te- teams match up, he plays one of his best games in the season. He's got one of those Cy Young uh, records on the season, AJ, like 11 goals and three assists for a guy who's gotten a lot of top six minutes. That's why I think that he's underperformed on the $5.5 million that he's being paid for this year and the next four. That's an ugly-looking deal, and you've got to believe that the Canadians would dearly love to get out from under that one because it is a big concern when, when a guy is paid that much and really not delivering on a consistent basis. I mean, they're getting more mileage out of Ren Pitlick, for crying out loud, and that guy's a career fourth-liner. Uh, but on the plus side, a young defense is starting to get some mileage in a positive traction in a positive direction, uh, Arbor Jacki is making headlines for for the fights that he gets involved with, but he's been a pretty solid guy for this club too, giving them a backbone that they never had for a couple of years. So that's a positive development. Justin Bourne chipping in with some offense. So I think there's better days ahead for this club, but uh, they'll be doing it without Josh Anderson if they if they can find a way to get rid of that deal for sure. 
on Long or I'm sorry, not Long Island yet. New Jersey will do them first here. Um, you have to think that they're going to want to be buyers here. You look at the current cap space. It's sitting at just 1.3 mil. So they're not really in a position to do a ton of buying. Their one option here becomes Andreas Johnson and whether uh, they can get rid of that deal. He's currently buried in the minors for them. Uh, so whether or not they can get him off uh, off the books, even with his contract in the minors, which again represents like a slight savings compared to his usual cap hit, you're talking 2.2 million. So if they could get somebody to take Johnson and then bring somebody back that's uh, a little bit uh, more valuable in terms of being a full-time NHL player, that would really help them. Again, there's just not there's not a lot of terrible contracts that I see on on this lineup here. I think the question mark just becomes can they be active enough in the you know in the free agent market? Uh, maybe if Jonathan Bernier can get healthy, I, I don't know what his status is. I haven't seen an update on him for a while. That could be another player that they try and trade or move. He's clearly their number three netminder, but his contract's a little hefty for that role. In fact, he would out earn either, either Vitek Vanasek or Mackenzie Blackwood if he was on the roster and he's certainly not going to start over either one of those guys. So a couple of guys that aren't really on the team right now, moving them could provide the space they need to be a little more active at the free, you know, at the trade deadline. AJ, we've been talking about Matt Duchesne a heck of a lot this year uh, in a positive way, two goals, one assist, uh, adding to his totals again, uh, returning good value for that contract. We were switching the line in years past on uh, the podcast, uh, but his, uh, Running mate for many of those years, Ryan Johansson, once again in our bad books because he has fallen off in terms of productivity, basically at a 40-point pace. And for a, for, for a guy who's getting $8 million, that's nowhere near good value. And you throw in a minus 13 as well. But we used to always also refer to the Nashville club as a defenseman factory. And uh, even while they in, inherited Ryan McDonough from a trade situation, uh, he has seen his best days behind him with Tampa and uh, the Rangers, he's not having a good year here in uh, in uh, Nashville relative to this contract that he's being paid right now. More of a defensive role, and that's six point seven five million for a defensive defenseman for this year and the next three at age thirty three and beyond. And then right behind him, Matthias Ekholm was a guy that we talked about on the other side of the issue, where we thought most favorable contracts in his previous iterations uh, of deals with this club, but now. They're paying the piper at the tune of $6.25 million, and he is clearly not re- returning value as a 32-year-old where the statistics are declining as well as the age is increasing. So uh, defense where it used to be uh, all the positive vibes and positive news might be turning into a bit of an issue for this club as we look ahead. Well, we're talking contracts, and I get to talk about the New York Islanders, so Paul – I have to mention Rick DiPietro. The deal doesn't cost them anything on their cap anymore, but the buyout was so long that uh, they still have, let's see, after this season, one, two, three, still have six more years where they have to give Rick DiPietro his annual $1.5 million. Uh, it's the Bobby Bonilla deal of the NHL. Uh, so, of course, had to bring up that uh, that buyout travesty there, but, of course, it doesn't actually impact their cap. So that's good news for them. 
I would say maybe you consider their worst contract to be Simeon Varlamov. Um, you know, he's he's not overpaid by any stretch of the imagination, but when you consider he's played just 14 games to Ilya Sorokin's 37, his limited outings haven't been terrible, but they also haven't been great. 8-5-1 and one is the record. 9-0-8 is the save percentage there. But when he's the one that makes more money between the two of them, He's at five mil, Sorokin at four million. Um, you have to wonder, you know, <laughs> did you make the right choice here? So I would imagine that they will let him go in free agency here. Uh, maybe, you know, maybe at that point you see if Corey Schneider wants to re-sign uh, and serve as your backup. They do also have uh, Ken Appleby is another capable player who could serve as the number two here as well. So uh, that's really the only, again, like, sort of bad deal that they have on here. Um, Josh Bailey for 5 million might be a little bit of a stretch. Uh, He's got enough years on there that you don't know that somebody would really want to take that on 19 points in 45 games is fine. It's it's not a terrible uh, look there. Peugeot, another one, $5 million. He's got three more seasons on that. So that'd be a hard sell. Um, Again, his numbers, kind of just okay for the most part you know 27 points 49 games that's totally fine I think there's bigger issues with this team obviously so uh, we'll we'll see what they do here at the deadline I think they're probably going to end up probably end up being sellers but they're not out of it yet Um, so maybe they try and add and and they might have to do some movement there to to add 1.5 as their current space Uh, so they would probably have to have somebody take on uh, maybe one of those contracts, uh, you know, Bailey, Pajot, Palmieri, all right at the $5 million mark, um, all over, th- you know, 30 or over. Uh, so there, there's maybe some options there to, to do something, but nothing egregious. Nobody that really jumps out as a potential player that they would uh, want to try and sell or get rid of. So uh, it'll be an interesting team to watch. Well, and the Rangers have been an interesting team to watch, AJ, as they're another team that's conducted their rebuild on the fly kind of thing. And that's where what led me to choosing Vinny Trocek as the contract that may be an issue down the road. I mean, for f- five years after this one, he's a 29-year-old player. He's going to be paid to the of $5.625 million. Having a decent season, AJ. I mean, you wouldn't think that 33 points in 48 games is is awesome production, but it's not bad for a second-line center. But I just think when you've got the likes of Philip Heedle and uh, Lafreniere uh, on the on the fringe of uh, new contracts themselves, they're going to be pushing for the top six minutes and maybe push Trocek down the lineup as they get a little more traction. Even Vitaly Kravtsov is a third player. So that's three names that will push uh, Trocek down below second-line value and that means that that contract could look onerous at that point so it's that that angle that uh, caused me to land on him I know you might have been a little bit surprised when I raised that name at first over in Ottawa uh, again I have to go to players that aren't really on the team they're currently this year and next year playing 1.5 million to Matt Murray for him to backstop uh, rivals the Toronto Maple Leafs so that obviously is never a, a good thing there Uh, So, yeah, that would maybe be what I look at here. There's again, uh, they are going to be probably sellers at the deadline. They've got three point six million in cap space, so they could maybe take on uh, a lesser bad contract. 
They will have to figure out what they want to do with Alex DeBrincat next year. He'll be an RFA and certainly needs to get paid. Shane Pinto, another player who needs uh, a new deal. They'll have the Tim Stutzley contract kicks in next year. Another big jump going from uh, 925000 to $8.3 million. So figuring all that out as well will be another question mark for them. But uh, overall, I think there's a uh, you know, pretty solid group here. Uh, not too many terrible contracts. Maybe Artem Zub uh, and more, not even this year's contract, but next year it goes to 4.6. That might be a little high uh, overall based on what you're getting out of him. But that's been hard to evaluate because he's been injured for a lot of the season. So, you know, it's hard to really know what you're getting out of him. I mean, he played, what, seven games and was out for a while, played another seven games out for a while. Can you really play seven games each time? I'm looking at this. Yeah, every time, Paul. So yep. when he comes back from injury, if you have Artem Zub on your fantasy team, expect him to play seven games before he gets hurt again. That's happened three <laughs> times this year. Um, really strange. I couldn't believe what I was seeing here. So, yeah, it's hard to evaluate that contract or whether they're going to be overpaying him next year or not um, without knowing what he can, you know, really do um, on the ice at 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 the – the level here, you know, he's got, this is his third season. You would have expected a little bit more development off of last year's 22 points in 81 games, especially with the pay bump they gave him. Um, and of course, you know, in talking about Ottawa, I know we're focused on the contract side of it, but we do have to talk. Uh, Josh Norris re-injuring his shoulder, had to undergo surgery uh, here or is about to undergo surgery and his season is done. That's such a huge blow for a guy um, they played just eight games this season. Hopefully he'll be ready for next year. Hopefully they've put this issue behind them and can move forward. Well, and the Philadelphia Flyers, a team that we've been maligning much of the year, you know, we've much got of to, the eight years we've been doing the show. We've got, to, <laughs> we've got to remind our listeners that they've had to go through this season without two of their top six forwards, uh, who have been on IR all season long, and Sean Couturier and Cam Atkinson, they're on the books for 7.75 for five years coming up for Sean Couturier and two more years at 5.875 for Atkinson. you got to hope that one or both of them can come back. Otherwise, they're going to play out the string on the LTIR. That's a lot of money to pay out, even if it's insurance covering it. But the toughest deal that they've had to to chew on for a while is James Van Riesdijk on the book for books for $7 million. It's an expiring deal that expires this year. And he's had a bit of an uptick in terms of some of the numbers that he put up this season at times showing some value. And there might be a team that takes a run at him, but would have to have the flyers take back half the salary to make that even marginally palatable. Uh, there was hope a long time ago that they would get some better value and better return from JDR, but uh, injuries have taken their toll and uh, the second go-around in Philadelphia, not as successful as the first one. On defense, though, the flag-bearer for this topic, AJ, around the whole league, I don't think there's a worse deal on the books than Rasmus Ristolainen on the books for $5.1 million, formerly a pretty good scoring defenseman, but boy, oh boy, as he hit the skids here a big time, five points in 41 games this season, along with a minus four, the most nondescript-looking guy when you see him. I mean, certainly the hits and block shots are decent totals, but he wasn't signed on for this kind of money for those two columns. They needed him to score and score much like he did earlier in his career, particularly with, with the Buffalo Sabres. It's nowhere close right now. 
And with that, AJ, we reached the point in our show where we're going to take a pause and give our sponsors some airtime. We're going to be back with some news and notes from around, more news and notes from around the league. You're listening to Rotowire's podcast with Statsman and AJ. We'll be back right after these messages. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. 
Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. All right, we are back, and it's up to my partner to give you all a reminder for ways that you can all reach out to us during this week and upcoming weeks over the next few where you're going to be concerned about the trade deadline. So, AJ, what do you say, pal? Yeah, absolutely. If you have any questions about fantasy hockey, hockey in general, we are happy to discuss those, uh, any trade proposals that come your way, anything like that. We can be reached on social media. You can follow me on Twitter at AJScholes24. You can follow Paul at Statsman22. As I said, we would love to help you break down any difficult trade discussions you have, pickups, uh, drops, that sort of thing. Feel free to reach out to us on Twitter. Again, that's at AJScholes24 and at Statsman22. AJ, it's up to you to bring us up to speed on the Pittsburgh Penguins. I'm sure you have some ideas for how to improve your club, but is there a bad deal in terms of the salary cap commitment to any player on your squad? Well, the number one thing to improve the team is going to happen today by all accounts, and that's to activate Chris Letang off injured reserve and get him back in the lineup. Uh, That will no doubt be the biggest improvement that they have made in quite some time and should hopefully help them win some games here. In terms of bad contracts, you know, I think before the season, a lot of people probably would have pointed to the Jason Zucker deal, 5.5 million. Numbers have never been terrible, but never been really great while with the Penguins, not getting, I think, what they expected out of him. 13 goals, 17 assists in 42 games this season. I think that's solidly where they expect Jason Zucker to be a, a 20 goal scorer that he should be able to reach that, you know, pushing 50 to 60 points uh, in that range. So, yeah, I think now I, I wouldn't call that a bad contract for them. I think you maybe have to look at Brian Dumoulin, uh, 4.1 million. Obviously you're not paying him for his offensive game, but he just, you know, he has not looked the same player the last couple of years. Um, he doesn't pair up super well with anybody other than Chris Letang. Uh, so, yeah, if you're looking for, for problems, it's it's probably that. The Jack Johnson buyout is still lingering there. They'll get about a million dollars in relief heading into next season off that deal. So that'll definitely help. Um, but, yeah, I think, you know, maybe Dumo is probably the, the worst contract right now on this Penguins team. Uh, you know, Malkin at 6.1, I think, has been worth it. Um, you know, maybe Jeff... Jeff Petrie at 7.2, like, but even then, um, he hasn't been bad. He, he's given the Penguins another offensive option or kind of filled the gap when Latang's been gone. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's kind of my take, Paul. I, th- I think it's Brian Dumoulin. And I know he's been a longtime favorite of yours, AJ, a serviceable guy for a long time in the fold, so that must have been hard to spit out for you. <laughs> but uh, on the Seattle club, you know, when we think about this club as a 
the newest club in the NHL. You would have thought they might have made a, a number of mistakes uh, with the salary distribution. It's uh, surprising that one of them is it revolves around the goaltending issue because a couple of years ago, you would have thought when they acquired Philip Grubauer and signed him for $5.9 million, their goalie concerns were, were not to be an issue for several years as he performed very well in Colorado. But things have not gone well for him with the new club. And so that's a bit of a concern when you consider $5.9 million for a guy who's been badly outperformed by Martin Jones. Martin Jones, another one of those guys that we have taken pot shots at for years, having his best year in many a time. He's on the books for only two million bucks, but he's a 33-year-old guy. I think goaltending is going to be a situation where you might not see either of these guys in the fold next season, and a completely new goalie tandem. If they could find a way to get rid of Bubauer off the books, that's going to be the tough task here. But also up front, Oliver Oliver Bjorkstrand is a guy who spent some time in the top six here and has been signed for 5.4 million over the next three years beyond this one. And the returns are not very good when you consider that he has not been caught up. And the offensive juggernaut that is this Kraken squad, he's got seven goals and 15 assists. That puts him well down outside the top 10 in the club scoring when he's very close to being the most well-compensated player on this squad at 5.4, like I said. So uh, that would be the injury concern uh, that lingers beyond this season, uh, aside from Grubauer in Seattle. The only obvious answer that comes up in San Jose upon first glance here is maybe Eric Carlson. And that's insane to say when you think about the, you know, kind of resurgent year he's having this season um, has been, you know, absolutely phenomenal on the, you know, on the season with, uh, you know, uh, 62 points in 48 games. But look, this is a team that has a lot of problems. It needs to do a lot of rebuilding. They're not going to be in a playoff position and they're hard up against the cap. They're, they're utilizing LTIR right now to, to be cap compliant. And so you have a guy, 32 year old defenseman who's making 11.5 million. Uh, you know, it's, it's just under 14% of your cap. Um, and so it's a really high dollar amount when you consider all the problems that this team has, you know, Eric Carlson is not going to be the answer to this team's future necessarily. He can't score all the points for them. They need somebody else that can help out here. So I just think in the grand scheme of where they're at in terms of the organization, what they need to do as part of being a rebuild, I think Eric Carlson for me comes in as a bad contract just because it's such a high percentage of their cap hit. You could also toss in their retaining salary on Brent Burns for two years beyond this one. They've got the Marty Jones buyout. That's going to affect them for four more years after this season. So, um, And that's not small potatoes. You're looking at about $5.1 million between those two guys uh, over the next you know, two years here. Um, that that is obviously space that they could use, but... Uh, I, I know, Paul, I, I'll, I'll give you a chance to actually comment. I know we kind of switched back and forth here, but for me, Eric Carlson at that level of cap hit is the worst deal on this team and is insane to say he's probably going to win the Norris Trophy this year. But, well, and that's what makes it such a compelling case because you know that he's not likely to replicate the season that he's having this year. At least I don't expect so as father time gets us all in the end. But uh you have to be happy for him in that it's a show me season based on the fact that there were rumbles that he just 
didn't find a fit with Brett Burns in the fold, but now that uh, the bearded one is gone, he's been able to fly solo and drive this offense and look at the results. You've got to be happy for him at least this season, but looking ahead, that could be a troublesome deal. And there are a whole mitful of the, on the San Jose club. Uh, when you look at the cap friendly website and highlights uh, a lot of big dollars committed to a few people that are getting longer in the tooth and not returning value. Like Mark Edward Vlasic is a, uh, Maybe the poster boy for that, uh, from my vantage point, AJ. What about the St. Louis Blues? This is another of the older clubs in the NHL. And on the plus side, they've managed to infuse younger players who started out as bottom six types. And a tip of the cap goes to Jordan Cairo and Rob Thomas, who now find themselves squarely in the top six. And, and uh, having earned their stripes over here, they're going to get big paydays next time their contracts are due. But in the meantime, there is some positive news before we get to the contract situation. Vlad Tarasenko and Tori Kruger both coming off the injured list for in time for the next game. So that's going to bolster a club that needs all hands on deck to make a run of the postseason. And uh, nobody wants to play this experienced squad if they get their game in order. But one guy who hasn't been caught up in that success is Tori Krug. When he came over from Boston, AJ, I thought he was still going to be a top 10 producer in terms of points. But he's been passed over by a couple of guys on the St. Louis roster, and that really diminishes his value, particularly as the uh, as you associate it with the injured uh, notes that we've been uh, talking about him periodically in that vein all season. But the fact of the matter is, Justin Falk is ahead of him on the, on the depth chart. Uh, the, you can make the case that Colton Perego is ahead of him on the depth chart, and even Kali Rosen has produced a good offense with a better plus-minus. So Krug may have fallen to fourth on the depth chart if you really evaluate what he's returning to the club. And the fact is that he's on the books for a few more years at a $6.5 million, $6 million cap hit, and uh, that's three more year, four more years, it looks like. So uh, that's the trouble spot for me, uh, one that I didn't anticipate when he was first uh, traded to, to the St. Louis club. In Tampa, there's nothing terribly egregious. I think you would maybe go with Vlad Nemesnikov here. Comes in uh, just 2.5 million is the cap hit, but you look at the numbers on the year, just 10 points in 43 games. Uh, so yeah, that's probably probably it. Uh, they don't have really any room uh, to to navigate here. They're maxed out pretty much. I, I think. Uh, yeah, I think they've pretty much maxed out their LTIR, maybe have a, a little bit left that they could use, um, which is because they have the Brent Seabrook uh, contract here. And they'll have that next year, too, to help them. Uh, there are going to be some tough choices. I do think there's almost no chance that Alex Kalorn will be back next season. He's probably um, going to want close to the $4.4 million he made this year. He's having a really solid production. We've got numbers going up next year on Sorelli, uh, Sergachev, uh, Cernak, Perbix. Like all these guys are going to get bumps in pay next season. Uh, so there's not a lot of wiggle room. So while I don't expect them to get rid of a guy like Kalorn, obviously he's a key piece to what they're doing on the ice right now. And even Nemesnikov, I just don't see necessarily them being super active at the trade deadline because they don't have the salary to, to, to really do anything. Um, and the potential trade pieces uh, aren't, aren't underperforming except maybe Nemesikov, but who's going to want him 
if he's not performing well. I don't know. Well, and in Toronto, there's a few different ways to look at this situation. You can start by looking at the LTIR, where I was concerned with the duration of Jake Muzzin's contract. 5.6.25 million is the cap hit for this year and next year, but he may play it all out on the, all on the LTIR, not unlike Carey Price in Montreal. There is some news expected down the pipe, pipe around uh, early March that is going to confirm that his career is done and the Leafs will have that cap space to work with at the trade deadline, and it'll be on the books next year as well as he visits Robida Island in that regard. And a sad end to a physical player's career, but at least he's got his name on the Stanley Cup as my wife, whose maiden name is the same, reminds me on a regular basis. <laughs> so uh, in terms of other news around the Maple Leafs club, I mean, people have lamented the, the, the duration and the amount of John Tavares' cap hit. But the captain is delivering, AJ. He's right there with the three other young guns as the leading scorers on this offense. And anybody who watched the, sat, the last game the Leafs played against the Islanders last night saw him produce eight shots on goal and turn this, that game around and Leafs one going away. But he was definitely a catalyst, and it's not the first time this season. He's been a point-per-game guy in Toronto, so I don't mind that contract because it's delivered one of the best captains the Leafs have had in my time. And uh, I want to see him play it out two more years and uh, I'd rather look elsewhere and say a guy like Alexander Kerfoot has not lived up to the billing of his 3.5 million dollar contract he's relegated to third and mostly fourth line duty uh, this season and uh, thankfully he's coming off the books that gives him a little bit of wiggle room but I'm going to surprise you here AJ and say maybe the the worst deal on the books is Matt Murray's deal at 4.687 million for a guy who's been passed by Ilya Samsonov who's playing on a $1.8 million cap hit as a restricted free agent. And all he's done this year is go 11-0-1 and and at home in those 12 starts and the goals against right around 2.2 on the season. So he's clearly been the better of the two goalies. And I think the Leafs hitched hitch their cart to him and maybe dangled Murray at, in trade in the offseason to uh, create some more wiggle room and the salary cap situation and uh, – they have goaltending prospect Joseph Wall and the Miners, another guy who's had a great year with the Marlies. He's been undefeated uh, so far this season in limited starts, but he's a guy that they have high hopes for. So the Leafs could be seeing some goalie changes if uh, they do decide to turn turn away from Matt Murray in the offseason. Boy, how the mighty have fallen. Two weeks ago, Matt Murray was the greatest goaltender in Leafs history. <laughs> Should have been was about who? to get his number retired early. Says you know, still playing. Uh, wow, <laughs> just a turnaround, Paul. Um, yeah, so I'll move on to, to Vancouver here. Obviously, they're going through some pretty big changes right now. Um, you know, the the trade rumors are going to circulate about uh, about Bo Horvat until either the deadline is passed or they sign him to an extension. That'll be their biggest question mark. That's certainly not their worst contract, though. And if I'm going to say that Eric Carlson is the worst deal as a producing defenseman, uh, then I have to say Oliver Ekman Larson is the worst deal on this one as a non-producing defenseman. 7.2 is his cap hit. He's on the books for another four years. And you look at what he's done on the ice, 19 points in 45 games. That is way too low for a guy making his kind of money. And so I think that'll be uh, one. I don't know. You know, his name is another one that gets circulated in trade rumors. I don't know that anybody's going to want that, you know, four more years at 7.2 million. That's, that's a lot. 
I don't think Vancouver would want to retain salary for that many years. So um, it's a big question mark on how to do that. But you do have, obviously, Bo Horvat needs a new deal. JT Miller's contract kicks in, new contract kicks in next season. So he gets a pretty big, you know, just under $3 million jump. So they need the space. So we'll see what they try and figure out to do here. But uh, Oliver ekman Larson, very underwhelming uh, performance this season. And in Vegas, AJ, there is uh, there are a couple of contracts that give me pause. Uh, the one that jumps out the most is the situation around Alec Martinez. The Stanley Cup winner in Los Angeles has uh, seen a decline in his uh, abilities in the, in the last couple of years, particularly this season. I mean, offensively, we're talking about a guy who's been limited to only eight points this year. Plus 10 uh, is positive news for sure, but uh, a guy who generated a lot more offense in earlier years, certainly has seen things go south a little bit. And that contract hit about $5.25 million, uh, leaves me a little bit concerned going forward. He's only got one year left of that value, and you think that they're going to fill in around him, and uh, some other players should pass him on the depth chart. So it doesn't look terrible today, but it might some point during the course of next season if they bring in reinforcements and push him down the roster. The other guy that might face a similar profile is William Carlson. He's on the books as one of the original uh, picks here in Vegas. It's still around and a, a key part of their second scoring line, but $5.9 million the cap hit for the next four seasons for a guy who will be in his 30s at that point. And again, another fellow who has seen his productivity uh, drop steadily from being a 40-goal shooter the first year with the club. He's down to 10 with 22 assists in uh, this season in 48 games. So decent totals on pace for about 55, but... I see a downturn in in that trend going forward and the cap hit looking a little worse as time goes on. In Washington, I mean, I think maybe this Ovechkin guy, I don't know, making 9.5. No, of course not. That's that deal is a steal for, for what he does on the ice. Um, Not a ton. You know, I I was looking over this Dimitri Orloff at 5.1, maybe a titch high, but he is such a solid, like shutdown defenseman when healthy John Carlson certainly worth eight million dollars um I don't know that they need to really do a ton with this team I mean Bashram Kuznetsov you could maybe say you know maybe Oshi a little bit overpaid at 5.7 he's kind of struggled to get his legs under him this season uh, with some injury absence so I, I think that's maybe one to to watch um how that contract continues to develop if he, you know, loses another step. But even this season, I don't think it's terrible. I think the most interesting thing looking at this group is of the currently rostered defensemen, none of them have a contract next season. Um, John Carlson on LTIR is the only guy that's signed beyond this year in terms of blue liners. So it's kind of a unique, interesting situation. Their forward group isn't much better. You've got, Eller, Strom, Hathaway, Sherry, Johansson, Abe Kubel, all set for uh, some form or another of of free agent next season. So uh, there'll be some tough, interesting choices. It could be a completely different looking five pack around uh, John Carlson next season. So we'll, we'll see what shakes out here. Um, But like I said, they are pretty good in terms of bad deals overall in Washington. In Winnipeg, I mean, there's been talk around Pierre-Luc Dubois for a lot of the season in terms of his contract situation, expiring deal at $6 million. He's a pending RFA, 
And there's a dotted line to him in Montreal, but they'd have to acquire him by trade, AJ. And that's where things could get interesting here. In terms of the recent developments with the club, all their stars are firing. We haven't touched on the goal scoring and productivity of much of the teams over the past week. But it is worth noting that Winnipeg's top guys, the top, you could say their power play alignment, if you will, Shifley, three goals, two helpers, Connors, three, three and one, Ehlers, one and four, Morrissey, three assists, Wheeler, one and three. Everything's in order there. And that guy in net, Connor Hellebuck, playing his butt off again. And so it's no wonder these guys are looking like a very tough out. I'm very happy the Leafs have got their two games done with them. And they did win both of them. So I don't think many teams are going to be able to say that at the end of the season because this team, I think the best days are ahead for this club, but uh, I do have an interest in seeing what happens with the uh, with the Dubois situation. And in terms of another contract that might be a bit of a concern before it expires, it's Nate Schmidt for me, AJ, a defensive-minded uh, pivot on the back end. It has a 5.995 cap hit for two more years after this one, age 31. Uh, the heavy lifting offensively is being done by Josh Morrissey and Neil Pionk who are being well compensated for their services, they're paying a lot more than maybe they need to for their top uh, defensive-minded uh, defenseman. But so far, it's working in Winnipeg. So it's a bit of a stretch to define that as a truly bad contract. It's one that's kind of headed in that direction, if particularly if he, his skills diminish at all over the next couple of years. So, you know, we tried to have a little bit of fun with this this portion, and we welcome your comments and uh, in terms of the players that we highlighted, but we also stressed that it was a bit of a stretch to say that some teams really have a terrible contract on their, their uh, salary caps, but we look for some of these players to be in motion at the trade deadline. And that's why I thought it would be worth bringing it up today. So a great contribution, AJ, by you as usual. And with that, let's swing into our DFS plays ahead of a very busy 11 game slate tonight. AJ, I know you handle usually the DraftKings picks. So why don't you lead off with your choices and your lineup for tonight's action? Yeah. So I started a little bit uh, less stacking uh, tonight than, than I have in the past. I'm just kind of changing up the the format here of what I'm trying to do. Uh, So I start that at center. I'm going to grab Bo Horvat, who I mentioned before comes in at 6,900. He's got a home matchup against Chicago. The new coach comes in and Rick Tockett. So I do think, um, you know, there's some good some good value there in Vancouver. If you're looking for a team to stack um, with this many options, I don't know how heavily you have to rely on stacking. I pair him up at center with Joel Erickson. Eck comes in at 5,600. Really good value for a guy who's on a pretty good tear right now. He's got points in eight of his last 10 games. Uh, 10 points total, four of those coming with the man advantage. So I really like um, Horvat there. On the wing, I'll go with uh, Nikolai Ehlers, 7,400. The Nashville Predators have been uh, one of the worst teams recently in terms of shots allowed per game. So it should be an opportunity for Winnipeg to get some high shot volume. It is a road matchup for them. Obviously, Ehlers has been red hot, though, the top scorer on the team or top point producer on the team in the month of January. I go with Jason Zucker for the Penguins, 46, 4,700 here. Another guy that's been red hot playing at home, um, potentially the return of Chris Letang tonight by all indications. I think that'll help the overall lineup and fare better against the Panthers. And then I go value for my other winger, 3,800 for Craig Smith. He's playing on that top line 
with Bergeron and Marchant in Boston. They've got Montreal tonight, who's been, uh, you know, one of the worst teams in the league, giving up a ton of shots as well there. And then Ryan Johansson comes in at just 3,000 for the Nashville Predators tonight. Um, That's, you know, his production has been a little pedestrian, just 24 points in 46 games. It's not a great matchup going up against Connor Hellybuck, and he's definitely been a feast or famine player. You look at his last 10 games, he had two games in a row with a point, um, went three games without anything, had a multi-point game, then three games without anything, multi-point game. So maybe maybe not the best time to pick him up. Could be a famine night. But at just 3K for a guy that is still getting decent power play opportunities, is in a top six role, I had to jump on that. On the blue line, I'm going to go with my uh, gut here on Vancouver. Go with Quinn Hughes, 5,100. Again, I think we're going to see um, some different looks, some more motivation out of those guys tonight. A good matchup with Chicago here. And then Maurice Sider. I think Detroit is another team. If you really wanted to, you could target heavily tonight as they go up against San Jose. Sider uh, comes in 5,400. Uh, really solid option here for Detroit. And then in between the nets, the Sharks have struggled to produce. And so I went 8,100 for Ville Husso in between the pipes tonight. A little bit cheaper than the top of the board, uh, and I like his chances to come away with a win there. AJ, my strategy is going to be apparent pretty soon uh, as I start to come up with the names that I'm going to throw out. And I want you to give some clarity to the strategy that you used on your on this large slate as the final comment. But on teeing my lineup off with the Bruins' visit to Montreal, Patrice Bergeron going back to his home province, you wonder if this might be the last visit for him as a Bruin to Montreal because the Canadians aren't going to make the playoffs and you don't know what Bergeron's plans are beyond this season. So I think he's going to bring it. And I think the club is going to support him too. So I look for a big night from him, $7,500 of price tag there. I mentioned the LA Kings, how they relied on a trio of players. I'm using one of those guys tonight, Anze Kopitar, as a centerpiece for my offense as well. $6,300 the price tag there in Philadelphia. Then Brandon Saad, who's been on a tear for St. Louis, playing top six minutes there, comes in cheaper than he's been playing right now, uh, recently at $4,500 against the Sabres club that played a tough game last night. So that entered my into, into, in my thinking there. I mentioned the, the Winnipeg offense is in gear, and uh, Blake Wheeler is a centerpiece there at $6,400 against Nashville tonight. And uh, their, their defensive system is a little bit... Uh, less than an optimal uh, this season. So I like that matchup. Then Justin Falk, who's played extremely well for St. Louis, is uh, worth $5,500 on the sheets tonight. And uh, he's going in against that same Buffalo club. So I expect him to be one of my key players on the blue line. You you malign John Klingberg, but I'm going to take a shot at him for Anaheim as he's still going to be a key part of their offense against an Arizona club that is – having a little more trouble uh, than they had earlier in the season, keeping the puck out of their net. So I'm looking for a high-scoring game from the visitors, and he'll be a part of it. That's $4,600, the price tag there. Then uh, maybe the most surprising element of my club, AJ, I took a shot at Taylor Hall. He's on the list for $6,000 tonight. He's on a 15-game slide without a goal. That's way too long for a player of this quality. He won't get a better chance to get off the schneid against that defensively challenged Montreal club that you highlighted. They only seem to play well when they play uh, the Maple Leafs. And so they're not getting the blue and white tonight. They're getting the black and gold. And I think that the Bruins are going to put a beating on them and Hall's going to be in the middle of it. Then uh, a final offensive piece, Adrian Kempe, who's had another 
fine season in L.A. Uh, in tandem with Anze Kopitar, I think they form one of the dynamic duos on the night for $6,500. He's my go-to guy. And then I'm finally going to wind up with Phoenix Copley for $7,700 with the goalie win probability high in his favor as the Kings visit uh, a confusing Philadelphia club that's, that's out of the running in a big way. So, AJ, that's my club, and my strategy should be apparent. I, I went for a couple of dynamic duos uh, in certain circumstances, looking for teams that I thought would have the advantage over the other side as well. Those were the two issues that I looked at. Who are the, the likely winners? And then focusing on those rosters and maybe doubling or even tripling up in the case of L.A. Uh, in, uh, in the matchup against Philadelphia. So I'm looking for the win probability overall and then picking from those sides as my strategy and maybe taking one more than one player from that uh, from in that way. That's the way I look at the large slates. What do you do? Is, is today's uh, the roster that you put together symptomatic of what you try to do on, on a large slate? Yeah, on a large slate, I'm, I do still try and like you, Paul, try and target a few, um, you know, a few games. Uh, obviously, like you said, Montreal, I don't go quite as heavily on stacking as I do for a smaller slate. Um, because there are so many guys that could produce at, at different levels. So, um, yeah, I, generally speaking, though, I do um, some smaller stacks or maybe multi multi stacks as opposed to on a, on a smaller slate. I might do like a full four man stack uh, five. If you include the goalie, really go heavy in one team, a uh, little less likely to do that on a bigger slate. And just so our listeners know, it's different on the FanDuel side. I think you can only take four ma- players, Max. You can go one more, I think, on the, on the DraftKings side. So be aware of the, that aspect too, AJ. I think that's the way it goes. as a difference between those two uh, sites. Uh, that brings us to the end of a, an episode where we went a little bit uh, different from our usual script. We hope you enjoyed it in terms of, call it a primary look at, uh, at the trade deadline uh, as we look forward. And uh, we, we kind of had some fun with it today. We hope you enjoyed that aspect. So uh, with that, I bid you adieu on behalf of myself and A.J. Scholes. You've been listening to Rotowire's uh, fantasy podcast. It's called Podcast with Statsman and A.J. We remind you that you can find us by looking out for me on Twitter at Statsman22, and you can find A.J. at A.J. Scholes24. Come back and see us next week. Things are going to get even more interesting as we get to the trade deadline. So long, everybody.